want to invite you to kind of take a flight of imagination with me for a few moments this morning. Imagine that you went to sleep on September the 20th, 2020, and woke up on September 21st, 2021. And in the world where you woke up one year from now, there were some significant changes over the way things are right now. Some of you might say, wow, that's a good, that's a good thought. But when you think about how things are, I want you to imagine just certain characteristics of life on September 21st, 2021. Imagine that you woke up and the idea of a COVID-19 pandemic was just a distant memory. Everyone was happy and healthy all around the world, not because of some magic, miraculous, scientific discovery, but just because everyone cooperated together to make things different. Scientists and drug companies weren't interested in profits and worked to develop a vaccine. Politicians did not use the pandemic as a means of promoting their own ideas or agendas and actually worked together to try to find solutions. People didn't gripe and moan about wearing masks or distancing or curtailing their activities. They did what was necessary, not to protect themselves, but to protect one another. And as a result, the virus had less of an opportunity to spread. And with everybody cooperating and working together, as a world, we were able to get past this crisis time. Imagine waking up a year from now and finding Facebook and Twitter as a place only of encouragement and uplift, where there are no uh, arrogant statements or no uh, put-downs or no anger expressed. Imagine waking up in a world where police departments were much smaller, not because of an aversion to the police, not because cities had responded by defunding the police, but because there was such a decrease in the amount of crime that law enforcement did not have to be as numerous as they are in 2020. Imagine waking up in a world where people weren't angry at one another or yelling at one another, where one group was not pitted against another. Imagine 
imagine that kind of change taking place in one year. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a great dream, and it's a nice thing to imagine. But apart from the return of Jesus Christ, I don't see how that could ever be possible. But I want to tell you that those kinds of things are possible. And in history, they have occurred before. You may not be familiar with the name Evan Roberts or Seth Joshua. Or you may not be familiar with what happened in Wales in 1904 and 1905. But I want to tell you some of what happened. Evan Roberts was a young man of limited education. He had to leave school when he was 12. And he went to work in the Welsh coal mines along with his father. Even though he had very little formal education, Evan Roberts was a deeply spiritual young man. And when he wasn't down in the coal mines, he was at a church service, a prayer meeting, or in prayer on his own. It is said that he actually would take his Bible down into the mines with it and use the dim light of a lamp at times when they would break to eat so that he could read the scriptures. <clears throat> Evan Roberts prayed fervently that Wales would see a spiritual awakening, a time of revival. It was a tough place. It was a place where most of the men worked in the mines and they lived a very rough and violent lifestyle where the pubs were much more frequently attended than churches. Violence, drunkenness were the rule of the day. Families were a shambles. And Evan Roberts knew things needed to change. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And at a certain point during one of his nights of prayer, God woke him up and by his own testimony he said it was as if for a period of four hours he and God were just having a face-to-face -face conversation. People said well it must have been a dream or a vision and he said no it was as real and I knew I was awake just like I am talking to you. It wasn't the kind of thing where he saw God, where he 
just spoke in conversation with God. The same thing happened again the next night and the night after that. And during the context of these conversations, Evan Roberts poured out his heart to God. And God was calling him to deliver the message of revival and renewal to the people in Wales. At the same time, there was a preacher by the name of Seth Joshua, who was praying some of the same kinds of things to happen in Wales. And God was speaking to him as well, but he was saying that it was his choice to choose someone to deliver the message who did not come in the pulpit in the normal way. You see, in the British Commonwealth, in the Anglican Church, what you did was you went to the university, you studied, and then you stood for exams. You had to be approved by the church before you could ever step into a pulpit. And Seth Joshua said, I don't believe that the people of Wales will listen to someone like that. And he was praying that God would just call a common, ordinary guy. But while Seth Joshua was praying that prayer, God was calling Evan Roberts. But when Roberts sensed God's call, he did what was expected of him. He immediately stood for exams to enroll in the university. And amazingly enough, as soon as he got to the university to prepare to be a priest, the visions, the experiences of the presence in conversation with God just stopped. And so Roberts left school and went back home. And he began to share the burden of his heart in the Methodist pulpits in Wales. And God answered in a powerful way. As you see, early on, right before Robert left to go to university, in one of his conversations with the Lord, the Lord convinced him that he could win 100,000 souls in Wales. When he woke up, he said to his brother, Do you believe that we could see 100,000 souls transformed? His brother said, Well, if God does it, anything is possible. So Ed Roberts stood in the pulpit and began to share the burden of his heart. And people began to pray. And lives began 
to be transformed. In the course of one year, spiritual awakening swept through Wales. And by the end of 1905, it was a different place. Reports in the newspapers in London indicated that the spiritual transformation was so remarkable that more than half of the pubs in Wales closed down for lack of business. The police departments were dramatically reduced in number, not because there was an aversion to police or lack of funds because there was no crime. One of the amazing anecdotes and one that I really enjoy is the fact that the what they call the pit ponies, these are the, the, the donkeys, the mules that they would use to pull the coal cars down into the mines. Most of them had to be replaced because they could not understand the miners anymore. Because in the past, the commands that the miners would give to those donkeys were so laced with profanity that the mules didn't understand what the miners were saying when God changed their hearts. So they had to get new mules and train them with different commands so that they could continue hauling coal out of the mines. Families were reunited. People's lives were so transformed that missionaries began to go from Wales to other parts of Europe and other parts of the world. As a result, similar kinds of revivals began breaking out in other countries around Europe, and those Welsh-type revivals were replicated in various places between 1905 and 1920. God gave Evan Roberts 100,000 Welsh believers, and even more than that. Waking up in Wales in 1905, if you had gone to sleep in 1904, would have been like waking up in 2021 in the world that I described. It may seem impossible, but it has happened numerous times in the history of the world. That's what happens in spiritual awakening. And that's the kind of miracle from the hand of God that we need in this nation and in this world today. The third chapter of the book of Jonah a very brief chapter in a very brief book, but it describes a remarkable 
spiritual awakening, and it is very, very typical of how God works such miracles. The text says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Before we move any further, let me just explain that we don't know when God spoke these words to Jonah. Because it comes next in the book of Jonah, we just kind of get the idea that the fish spits Jonah out. And God says to Jonah, okay, now get back about your business. But that does not necessarily have to be the case. Jonah could have thought that he had escaped the call of God. It could have been days, weeks, months, even years before God delivered the message to Jonah again. But it is interesting to know that it's exactly the same message that he gave Jonah before. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. That means it took three days to walk from one side of the city to the other. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Joshua's message was simple, and it was probably one that he enjoyed delivering. He may actually have wondered just exactly why it was that he had been so hesitant about going to Nineveh in the first place. It was exactly what he had on his heart. In 40 days, Nineveh will perish. Now, in his book, The Prophet, Prophet, Tim Keller describes the challenge given to Jonah 
as if a Jew, like say Elie Wiesel, was tasked with the idea of going into 1930s Berlin and proclaiming in the midst of the Nazi regime, in 40 days, Berlin will fall. It was a daunting task, but certainly not a task that would be distasteful. I think Jonah was afraid that God was bringing him to Nineveh with a word of repentance, with a promise of restoration. And yet God simply said, say what I tell you to say. And the message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will perish. This time Jonah did what God called him to do. And as a result, the Spirit of God shook the people of Nineveh to their very shoes. They understood that it was the true God Jehovah, who was angry with them because of who they had become. They were a sexually promiscuous, bloodthirsty, ruthless society. They may have worshipped false gods, but basically they were gods to themselves. Citizens of Nineveh the Assyrians of the ancient world were known as some of the most bloodthirsty people who have ever walked the face of the earth. Some of the descriptions of their atrocities are the kinds of things that would make you sick to your stomach. And yet when Jonah said, in 40 days, Nineveh will perish, they were devastated. And the Spirit of God worked in their hearts to a point where the entire kingdom was transformed. But what do we learn about spiritual awakening from the story of Nineveh and from the story of other revivals and spiritual awakenings that have happened in the years since? One of the first things that we see is this spiritual awakening comes when we recognize the reality of our situation. When Jonah delivered the word to the Ninevites, in 40 days Nineveh will perish, they realized in a very plain and unmistakable way that their goose was cooked. Jonah didn't say, if you don't mend your ways in 40 days, and then it will perish. The message was, you're going to be destroyed. And the Ninevites came to understand that their spiritual and physical situation was hopeless. They 
also realized that it was because of their own actions that they were in that hopeless situation. Spiritual awakening doesn't happen until we realize that we need it. We say that again, emphasize a little bit different words in the sentence. Spiritual awakening does not happen until we realize that we need it. When we realize the reality of our situation. So often when we pray for revival, when we pray for spiritual awakening to happen where we live, we are praying that God will do something to them. But spiritual awakening begins when we realize the reality of our situation and pray that God will do something in us. And when God renews us by the power of His Spirit, then we become the agents of renewal in the lives of others. Spiritual awakening does not happen out there and then come here. It happens in here and then goes out there. The Great Welsh Revival of 1904 and 1905 began in the hearts of Evan Roberts, Seth Joshua, and others who had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and shared what God had done in their lives. Revival, spiritual awakening, will happen in Richmond and in Virginia, in America and in the world. When the person occupying your seat and my seat in the pews of this church allow God to do his transforming work in our hearts, and then when we act done. That's the way it happened in Nineveh. Jonah just spoke a word. Regular Ninevites out on the street heard what he said. They took seriously what they heard. So seriously that they began to transform their own way of thinking their own way of living. And the transformation moved so quickly that word of it eventually reached the king. It started from individuals who heard John and spread from there. And that's the way it always happens. Even today. The second thing we see from this story is that spiritual awakening happens when we genuinely cry out to God. When we cry out to God from the depths of our spirits and say, Lord, help us. Forgive us. Transform us. Empower us. 
There's none of the claiming the promises of God here. These are just simply hearts crying out to God. God, help us. The king of Nineveh was a man who was used to getting his way. He was one of the most powerful rulers in the world. He was a ruthless warrior. And yet when he tells the people of Nineveh how they are to fast and to pray, to humble themselves, he says, turn from your evil ways and your wrongdoing. Call out earnestly to God. Not because we know that that will solve the problem, but because we know that's the need. He says, who knows? Maybe God will relent from what he has promised to do. No assurances. He just simply cried out to God. And that's what happens in our lives. We don't have any ulterior motive. We just know who we are, we know what we need, and we cry out to God. God always responds. And when that happens, change comes. The third thing we see from this story is that spiritual awakening is a change for the best. Nineveh, the great evil city, was transformed. Wales, that tough part of the British Empire, was transformed. Other cities, nations, that had experienced the, the power of spiritual awakening were transformed. That's what happens when God works. But as we see in chapter 4, there are changes that are not always welcome. First of all, when spiritual awakening comes, Satan is angry and he works harder than he's ever worked before. But then there are also those who are religious, who are supposed to be God's people, who are offended by how awakening and revival impacts traditions. When the Welsh revival happened in 1904, the Anglican Church looked down its nose at those Methodists and enthusiasts up in Wales. They were not dignified in their worship. And then there were the new songs that came out of those Welsh revivals. Emotional, heartfelt music that was sung as part of the worship offended the traditional ears of others. Those who were involved in illicit pursuits certainly 
we're not happy about what God is doing. And so it's not always smooth sailing. We're going to learn next week in the book of Jonah that even the one who delivered the message was upset by the repentance of the people to whom he preached. It's a miraculous outpouring of God's power. Spiritual awakening is a transformation for the better, for the best. It's not always an easy path, but it's a path that's always worth it. I don't know about you, but I fully believe that we live in a time not that needs spiritual awakening. All of us know that. But we live in a time that is ripe for spiritual awakening. A time that is prepared like no other time for a revival that would be glorious. But it won't start genuinely until it starts in your heart and in your heart. What a privilege. Through allowing God to work in our lives to become vessels through He changes all it takes is recognizing our situation real in our own shoes crying out to God and doing what he calls us to do as a result of our transforming heart Awakening must come, and it starts in our shoes. We pray with you. Lord, we know that we're in the midst of tough times. Whether it's individuals, or churches, or societies, or the world at large. We live in a deeply damaged place. And we know, Lord, that no person or party or plan can rescue But you can, as you rescue us, as you revive us, and allow us to be a part of the awakening that so want to bring to this world. Lord, help us to so hunger for your presence and your power that we start in our own shoes and ask that you begin transforming work our hearts, our lives, our relationship with you. And 
then, Lord, thank you for the miracle.